Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. That is especially true today as we bring on for the very first time Eric Metz, uh, CFA President and uh, Chief Investment Officer at Spider Rock Advisors. They're specialists in risk mitigation through customized option strategies. He speaks to us from the headquarters in Chicago. Eric, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. So, Eric, uh, you're out of the University of Michigan with a bachelor and master's degree in industrial engineering. And, in fact, uh, I understand that you also started a Ph.D. program in that. But you began uh, on the floors of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. You became a senior trader and partner at a couple of firms and then moved over to the investment management side for mutual fund and hedge fund. Uh, You've been with Spider Rock now for a few years and uh, your whole career has been based on options. So give us a brief background of yours, will you? Yeah, sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, it began in, uh, in Ann Arbor studying engineering and, and really derivative kind of as a segue into now my professional career. Uh, you know, the allure of, of the fast-paced trading and intensity of, of, you know, trading financial instruments on the floors, I think, is what brought me to Chicago out of the gate. Uh, and then, you know, I've navigated around, uh, you know, a, a few firms here in here in town, really kind of cutting my teeth and learning the craft, um, but more importantly, figuring out how derivatives today can really solve problems in investment portfolios, and that's kind of the genesis of, of you know, what we're doing here today at Spider Rock Advisors. Uh-huh. So, so tell us, Eric, what is it that you know about options that you wish more people knew? Yeah, you know, so I'd say more often than not, people think options and derivatives, and they think scary, Warren Buffett's you know, coin phrase is weapons of mass destruction. Um, he's actually the probably the most prolific user of them, uh, kind of ironically enough. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're not when used properly. Uh, and they're very useful tools. And the tools and kind of portfolio construction that people typically use them for, uh, they can solve a lot of, you know, issues or problems uh, that other instruments can't. Plain vanilla equities, plain vanilla fixed income, you know, can't can't shape the risk-reward profile that, you know, derivatives uh, instruments, you know, can, can, can do, and there's a lot of benefit to that. You know, you keep using the word derivatives uh, since 2008 to the credit crisis. That's been definitely a four-letter dirty word here. Uh, describe for, for those who may not be that familiar with options, describe a real conservative option strategy for us, will you? Yeah, I would say the most ubiquitous uh, and most well-known is just a simple covered call. So owning 100 shares of Microsoft and selling, uh, you know, a, a January 105 strike call, just one simple contract on your 100 shares. A lot of, uh, you know, people, both both retail and institutional, view that as, as, as a yield play, so bringing an options premium to augment portfolio yield. Um, others, with the same strategy, view it as a risk mitigation strategy. So, you know, owning 100 shares of Microsoft is a riskier proposition than owning 100 shares of Microsoft and selling a covered call. So that's probably the most well 
known strategy. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's a lot of application, uh, both, you know, for, for private wealth portfolios and, and institutional portfolios alike. Who, who invests with you guys and why? Are they big institutions, uh, strictly as a hedge, hedging endeavor, or uh, are they you know, individuals? Uh, who are they? Yeah, so uh, our clients come in all shapes and sizes, uh, but they are predominantly uh, all institutions, family offices, or financial advisors, so not the end consumer in, in the kind of uh, construct that you just outlined. Um, so we don't have, uh, you know, a doctor or Mrs. Smith as a client. Uh, we have their financial advisor as a client. Uh, we have family offices and, and, you know, pensions, endowments, and foundations, uh, and, and, you know, whatever else is in between. Okay. And, and, and why do they invest with you? Typically to hedge? Yeah, so you know, I think there's, there's two predominant reasons. Uh, one is understanding where derivatives can provide a lot of value for portfolios. Uh, you know, our expertise and kind of consultative nature, uh, you know, allows us to scope that out and then apply these strategies, uh, whether it be for one client or a sequence of 100 or maybe even 1,000 if, if uh, you're a, you know, a large advisory practice. But they, they come in a few buckets. Uh, you know, strategies really reside around hedging, uh, risk mitigation, as, as you mentioned, uh, yield augmentation. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'd say that the last bucket is unique circumstances. So really understanding estate planning and, um, you know, volatility reduction and, and the tax implications of all portfolio construction, um, you know, derivatives and, and, you know, plain vanilla and sophisticated option strategies can aid in, uh, in that dynamic. You know, uh, you, you mentioned volatility uh, three to four uh, months ago. We had a, uh, a minor crisis uh, with uh, volatility. One of the uh, exchange-traded products, ETPs, uh, actually went out of business, and there were a significant amount of money that was uh, lost or somehow disappeared. And uh, so tell us a little about what happened with that volatility trade and that ETP, will you? Yeah, sure. So uh, I know the ETP in the situation uh, you know, fairly well. Um, you know, in the prospectus, it was written that if if the VIX were to rise eighty percent a day, that they'd have the right to liquidate. And you know, and, and rising eighty percent uh, in nominal terms is a much easier feat if the VIX is is starting relatively low. Um, so just to paint the picture from a math perspective, you know, starting at ten and going to eighteen is an easier eighty percent appreciation than starting at at thirty and you know going up to 54. Yeah. And so that dynamic was inherently in the marketplace as the complacency from 2017 rolled into 2018 and, and volatility was just historically low. You know, the ETP that you're, that you're mentioning um, is, a, you know, effectively using VIX futures. And so the, the dynamic here is both around liquidity, but also, you know, the market understood this dynamic and really kind of forced the, the hand of, of the players, uh, you know, that were that were playing in these instruments, and so, you know, while it was a you called it a, a minor, uh, you know, meltdown or crisis, um, you know, I actually, I wouldn't even go that far as to say that uh, if if you're in the seat of you know professional options trading or volatility trading, um, you know, while I would say it was definitely abnormal, uh, it's completely I would say understandable. I don't think this was a systematic problem. I think this was very. Uh, you know, microscopic in the grand scheme of things, and there were a few events that unfolded that kind of transpired and domino affected this event. Um, but it's 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 understandable as to you know how. Okay, well we appreciate that because uh, 
you know, I, uh, I've asked a few people that question and, uh, you know, uh, you know, usually I get these blank stares and I don't really know how it happens. So we, we appreciate uh, your being aware of it and, and understanding it. So are you guys just in the options equity markets? Are you also in the futures markets? Do you do these on commodities uh, or strictly on indexes? Do you do individual stocks? How do you do this? Sure. So, uh, you know, the core portion of our business is on individual stocks, equity indices, that being the Russell, the NASDAQ, and the S&P 500. We do do some work in the fixed income landscape uh, and currency and commodity space, uh, but it's very bespoke in nature. Uh, Our core business is around really equities and and equity indices. Okay. In the futures market or just in in the, uh, the, the regular options market? The, the regular listed options market. Regular listed options market. Okay. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with options, how about a couple of examples? That doesn't need to be one where you made 150%, anything like that. Just give us a couple of examples of clients who came in, what they were trying to do, and kind of what you were able to set up. Not, not that, you know, you bought a call here and you sold a put there and, you know, all of this stuff, but kind of w- w- what you did for them. Sure. So I think there's two, uh, I would say, use cases here that I think would resonate with, with your listeners. Uh, you know, the, the markets have had a pretty good run since 08. And putting new capital to work uh, is, is, you know, I would say not a dilemma, but it's, we're, we're in a regime right now where people are a little more hesitant to put new cash to work uh, at, you know, call it nominal highs uh, or close to. Uh, yeah, I for good the reason. The NAS, right? And <laughs> for so good reason, yeah. with, with with that hesitation, with that kind of tepid prudence, uh, you know, I, I would offer out the following thought. Um, when you're thinking about deploying uh, money into the market, dollar cost averaging is, is a pretty well-known methodology. But we often hear from our clients, I would, I would want to own the market if it had a 5% pullback, or I would want to own the market if it had a 10% pullback. And at what time frame is kind of irrelevant. You know, if it happened tomorrow, they would buy it. If it happened in six months, the same thing would you know, they would buy it then. So the concept of being paid today, so if I can take your same $100,000 that you're looking to put into the market, I can pay you, call it 3 4 maybe 5% uh, in an annualized fashion to own the market if it were to sell off, right? That concept resonates with a lot of our, our clients, uh, and I'm assuming a lot of your listeners. And that is a simple cash-secured put strategy. So selling puts, again, comes with a connotation of scary and risky, that strategy in an unlevered capacity, which is the only offering that we have, is less risky than buying the market outright. And so getting paid to wait for the pullback is kind of the, I would say, the layman's way to think about it. But all we're doing is trading listed options to facilitate that concept. And, you know, I, I, the, the demand for that type of plain vanilla strategy from our seat has really had an uptick. You know, more recently, A, because volatility premiums are higher, meaning you're getting paid more than you were in 2017 for the same, for the same strategy. So it's, a, it's an intelligent way to put new cash to work into the markets. I'll kind of shift gears a little bit. And, again, market condition related, because of that bull market, a lot of broad-based equity portfolios today are sitting on capital gains. And so, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith that uh, maybe is in retirement that should be in a 60-40 portfolio, but because their stocks have done so well, again, it's a good problem to have, but nonetheless, it's, it's a problem. 
they're probably overweight. So they could be 70-30. They might even be 80-20. And so the idea of de-risking, uh, again, comes with a tax liability. And so using plain vanilla option strategies, again, we can de-risk. We can make that portfolio feel like 60-40. We can actually bring in more income. We can de-risk some of those equity you know, exposures and simultaneously do that all very efficiently without having to pay you know, whatever embedded capital gains bill that they would have had they, had they gone the, the kind of incumbent route of selling equities to buy fixed income. So two large use cases that I think you know, have resonated with our clients. But again, these are very, very market condition dependent, um, but we are in those market conditions right now. Okay. Well, we appreciate that. And those are good, good solid examples. And uh, cash-secured puts, uh, uh, seen lots of those and uh, have used them to a certain degree. And no question about it, they, uh, they can do very good things. And uh, as long as it doesn't uh, fall too far, and then people like you, you've, uh, you've got a crystal ball to keep it from falling too far, too far right? Yeah, I don't know about that. I I appreciate the boat of confidence, but there's definitely no crystal ball. So uh, let's talk for just a minute. Uh, you, you obviously have to play. There are two things involved. One is the option, and the other is the underlying position that you're doing the option are on, because as you say, these are derivatives. So uh, somebody has to select uh, wh- wh- whether you're using the SPX, uh, SPY, or you're going to use the uh, NASDAQ 100, or oil, or gold, or something like that. So do you guys pick that, or do you say to the client, do you think gold is going up or down? And the client says whatever they think. And then you say, well, then uh, let's craft a strategy around that. To what degree is the client, or in, in your case, the institution that, that you're working with, are they involved in actually selecting the underlying and the, the expected direction or non-direction? Yeah. So, again, in all kind of client engagements, um, we do have both flavors. Uh, but... I would say the, the larger use case for our business is people are coming to us with portfolios, already pre-made portfolios, equities, bonds, sometimes commodities, sometimes alternatives, private investments, et cetera. And they're saying, here's my ball of wax. This is what I'm trying to solve for. How can you, Spiderock Advisors, with all that you guys do, aid in, in making this portfolio you know, a better risk-reward profile for, for me or for my client? And, you know, we've built a lot of systems, a lot of engineering to assess portfolio risks, understand where they inherently reside, and then map that to a strategy uh, that we have. And then we can show graphs and charts and illustrations as to why our risk-reward profile should be perceived. Um, And then, you know, again, talk about what risks we're identifying and how derivatives or how option strategies can solve some of these problems whether it be idiosyncratic risk because you have too much in one stock, whether it be because it's outperformed over the last 20 years that you've held it, or whether because you've inherited it, or whether because you you may have worked at the company for 25 years and have just amassed a lot of your wealth in a security, right? That's probably, uh, you know, one of our larger use cases. Um, Again, the suitability test comes back and you want to be 60-40, but you're sitting on 80% equities right now. Again, it, it, it triggers it. Our systems are alerting us to this. And it identifies, you know, the strategy that we would want to attack this problem with. And then we can, again, articulate that through, you know, data and charts and and illustrations as to, you know, the benefits and the pros and cons of doing these strategies. So tell us, um, 
you're in the world of investments, although it's a little different focus. Uh, before I get to that, there's another question I had. Uh, 2008 credit crisis again. It uh, made us aware, made the general public aware of uh, derivatives that uh, really got a dirty name. Okay, uh, swaps and uh, other things like that. So, do you guys get involved in those other? Uh, typically more advanced derivatives, or you do, do you strictly stay with options? Yeah, so myself and the investment team here uh, has a background in, in a lot of these instruments. I would say our current offering doesn't use any of those. Uh, but remember, you know, with all things in the credit crisis, and today is no different, the leverage component is really the ultimate deciding factor of whether these things cause issues or, or, or help solve problems, right? And so the credit crisis was, you know, was a leverage problem. We don't offer any leverage in any of our instruments and any of our strategies. So one of the things, you know, we are stewards of capital and prudent risk management uh, professionals. And so the number one component in that is, you know, assessing the leverage equation. And so more often than not, in almost all of our client engagements, we are starting with a no leverage strategy. Um, so again, it, it alleviates a lot of the issues that, really come to mind when you hear the word derivatives. Hey, well, thank you. That was, uh, that was good to hear and certainly comforting to uh, your clients, I'm sure. So tell us, um, I, you've heard lots of advice uh, and you've given lots of advice, I'm sure, on investing. What's the best advice you've ever heard, read, or received about investing? Protect your capital. If you go to zero, you can't get it back. Compounding returns, you know, do a lot of heavy lifting in the long run. And so uh, one of the things here and one of the kind of philosophies that we have is that risk management needs to be the focal point of your portfolio construction, not an afterthought. Uh, and that comes in a few formats. And, you know, volatility actually, uh, you know, when used properly can be, can be an asset of yours, but understanding how to use that is sometimes difficult. And so derivatives and options and the strategies that we perform for our clients really have a risk management focus uh, and, and volatility reduction happens to be uh, one of the better techniques that can often improve risk-adjusted returns. Uh, the, the geometric compounding of mass, if a stock goes down you know, 25%, it has to appreciate 33% to get back to, to even. Um, so that negative compounding that you see there when, when you know, the, a loss is incurred uh, needs to be, you know, minimized. So those two kind of piece of, uh, pieces of advice, A, don't lose your capital, but B, uh, you know, let the compounding returns do a lot of your long-term heavy lifting. Um, you know, those are core, core theses that, you know, we really kind of, you know, practice what we preach. Yeah, and today that, that needs to be told, uh, or that's a story that needs to be told, right? Because people are believing that, uh, too many people are believing that stocks just go up, Right. And uh, that, that many are not uh, looking at the, the downside that they should be. So a question we'd like to ask all of our guests here, Eric, what keeps you awake at night? Yeah, so, you know, I think the, the world has, has definitely changed since the, the, you know, global financial crisis. You know, quantitative easing here, uh, while it was, I would, I would argue, successful in a, in a lot of capacities, definitely has, has some downside repercussions. You know, I think the, I won't call it irrational exuberance, uh, to coin a, a former uh, Fed chairman, but the idea that stocks only go one direction, um, 
there, there's some reasons as to why they've really performed in the last call it decade. Um, and so if you, if you, you know, kind of remove uh, some of the few rocket fuel uh, and quantitative easing, it, it does change. It does does change the landscape. Um, so again, coming back to risk management and kind of where we are today in the cycle, uh, you know, valuations are, are sometimes objective, but can can be argued and, and money can be invested in, in somewhat of a subjective fashion. So without getting into valuation debate, without getting into kind of what's changing fundamentally today versus two years ago and two years looking forward, um, you know, I would just kind of reiterate that, you know, let, let's not let's not take equity markets and bull markets for granted. Uh, and it's been a very fortuitous run for those that have been invested uh, to, to really put that back in kind of, uh, you know, I would say the, uh, the focal point of, of financial planning. Okay, we appreciate that. And the second question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, where I sit, you know, I think the, the crisis uh, in 2008, you know, really opened a lot of eyes. Uh, on the Brink is a book that, you know, I got my hands on, you know, when it was released. It's, it's essentially the story, you know, from Hank Paulson's seat uh, and all the moving, you know, players, uh, you know, that really came together to try to figure out, A, how to stem, stem the bleeding and, and solve the issues at hand. Uh, but it was very eye-opening to, to have that kind of, uh, you know, insight. Okay, thank you. On the brink. Okay, very good. So your website and contact information for those who would like to know more here, Eric. Yeah, sure. So the website is uh, com. Uh, my contact information can be actually found on the website. Very good. So final words for our listeners. Yeah, you know, I appreciate, uh, Charlie, you, you having me on the show. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we've, we've found since we've started this business is that uh, the strategies that were performed, uh, you know, are, are not as well known as I think they should be. There's, there's a few reasons. Historically, they haven't necessarily always been accessible. Uh, they've, they've often had high minimums uh, through, I would say, a competitive advantage of ours and our technology footprint. Uh, we are able to effectively democratize these strategies that historically had high minimums and, and give access to, you know, a large uh, private wealth community. Um, you know, so... Uh, don't be intimidated by the words of options and derivatives. That's that's why we're here. We are the fiduciary in that that domain. Uh, and now, effectively, because we don't really have a threshold or a minimum, uh, you know, any financial advisor can effectively have access to us. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, it's it's kind of one of our, our more I would say uh, altruistic components here is to really bring risk management uh, to to the masses. Uh, so that is, that is definitely kind of one of the themes that we're trying to, to convey to the community. Well, Eric, certainly a risk management uh, is a mantra that we all need to uh, pay more attention to these days, so it's a worthy cause. So our best wishes to you and to the firm, Spider Rock Advisors, for uh, your continued success in getting the work out and uh, bringing in the clients and protecting those assets. And thank you very much for joining us today and our best wishes for your continued success. I appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. Again, we've been talking with Eric Metz, CFA, President and Chief Investment Officer of Spider Rock Advisors out of Chicago, specialists in risk mitigation through customized option strategies. I'm Charlie Wright. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. We're wishing you 
an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.